Good evening. Wow, that was just wonderful worship. I was like, wow, can we just continue? Um, but yes, good evening, everybody. My name is Kim, and I take care of the department called MSJ. MSJ takes care of anything that's got to do with visitors, membership, leadership, all the ships. Uh, that's under my jurisdiction, right? Um, but before I start with my sermon and word today, I want to promote something, a little advertisement break. Um, you know, normally um, we have promo videos, and then after that, people sign up for something, right? But this time around, um, we opened the registration, and we didn't even expect, we almost have almost full house, and now only we're promoting the video. So this is the YA Cam. Uh, this is our first official YA Cam video. Um, yeah, and you know, since the multimedia people or whoever who did it has spent their time uh, doing this video, let's just pay attention to this video and watch it right now. Divided by backgrounds, cultures, and stories, with hearts that are broken and souls that are lost, in search of a place where their worth is found, facing the world alone. But there is a call from one to a place where love and unity collide, where differences fade and bridges are made, a place to heal, to learn, to have fun, to make friends, to laugh, to grow as one. Let's gather as one, strengthen our faith, restore our spirit, where love is shared and hope is alive. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one church, one God. We gather because we are one for the one. So that's the YAYAC camp. Um, just to let you know, this weekend is the last of our uh, super early bird. Super early bird, right? Correct, right? Um, and we are already 85% full. Actually, we actually exceeded the capacity. But yesterday night, all night, my husband was talking to the hotel people like, please give us more rooms because we want more people to be able to come for the camp. So we only have a few more seats left. So you can sign up um, after the service at the booth outside or you can, you know, there's a QR code. You can go online and you can register for it, okay? YA and YAC, okay? YAC means our campus, right? We have our campus. Anybody in universities, you're still studying, and if you're young and you feel young at heart, sign up for this one camp. Amen, amen. So now I'm going to start with my sermon. Um, as you know, uh, we did the Bible overview of Luke. So I have to be very careful to say the word Luke. I keep saying Luke. I don't know why. I'm like Luke, but my husband's like, no, it's Luke. So we're studying the book of Luke. Um, very clear about that. And the title of my sermon is Recognize. Recognize, all right? So now I'm going to show you a little picture. Um, yeah, this is a nice picture of obviously water. How many of you can guess, can recognize, where is this? Any, any, any guess? Nobody? Any brave souls want to guess? Just shout it out. Sea of Galilee? Wow, not bad, not bad. It is the Sea of Galilee, not bad. Yeah, this picture was taken um, many years ago when I, I went to Israel, and I thought that, you know, because we're going to be studying about Luke, and a, a lot of the exciting things happen near the Sea of Galilee, I thought, you know, I wanted you all to have a little picture of how the Sea of Galilee looks like. Um, incidentally, the Sea of Galilee is not really a sea, it's actually a lake. 
It's a freshwater lake. You want to know why they call it a sea? Ask my husband. <laughs> I just, um, yeah. It's, and, and they have many names for it. Um, they call it the Sea of Tiberias. They call it the Sea of Kinneret. They've got many, many names. And, and another name, they call it the Lake of Gennesaret. Okay? So we're going to learn. Uh, we're not going to learn about the sea, but we're going to talk a little bit about Luke. Uh, and we're going to open our Bibles, uh, bring out your, on, your online, your physical Bibles, or your hand phones, because we're going to read Luke 5, verse 1 to 11. Everybody got your Bibles? Yeah, scroll there, scroll there, Luke 5, verse 1 to 11. Yes, I didn't put the verses up. I'm going to make everybody read 11 verses. Yes. So get ready, get ready. Okay, if we're there, let's read, okay? I'm going to read it together. I know some of you have different versions. Never mind, we just read it so loud that the version that you have um, comes out, all right? So get ready. One, two, three. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him, listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Let me just start with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, hallelujah, that your word never go, goes out, never returns void. And Father, Lord, I pray that you plant a seed in every single heart here. And may the Holy Spirit, you work in us, Father, Lord. May you work in our hearts so that we can hear your words in our hearts for today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we read 11 verses. So the, the book uh, of Luke, and in this portion, is actually about the call of Jesus to his first disciples. Now, there are many things that I could have talked about, but I felt like, you know, this is such an important part of the ministry of Jesus. And I, and I believe that Pastor Wayan is also gonna preach about the call of disciples tomorrow. So I think we're both aligned, you know, we both decided to speak on the same topic. And, and in this narrative, um, it's about calling the disciples of, of, of Jesus, right? And so, you know, a lot of people always ask, how do I know or recognize is I, if I am being called? Well, you know, obviously, God, you know, he, he calls everyone in a unique way. As you can see, for Simon Peter, he calls him through, you know, the, the miracle of the abundant fish, obviously because, you know, Simon is a fisherman, so he would call him in a way that maybe he would relate to better. And I believe 
that when Jesus calls all of us, every one of us here are unique, and therefore there will be a unique call to each and every one of you based on who you are, what you do, etc., etc. But I do believe, even though every call is unique, there will be something that is general in terms of the call. And when we read Luke 5, verse 1 to 11, we can sort of gleam a few things that, that needs to happen when we get called as a disciple of Christ. And what are the three aspects I believe that we need to have if we are to be called to be disciples of Christ? I believe the first one is we need to recognize our frailty. The second one is we need to recognize God's awesomeness. And finally, we need to recognize a greater purpose. And I believe these are the three aspects that we need to recognize when we are called to be disciples of Christ. So the first thing we need to recognize is our frailty. Now I'm going to zoom into verse 8. It says here um, in verse 8, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, the first thing that happened to Simon Peter was after he witnessed the miracle of the abundant fish, you know, instead of, you know, celebrating, yo, look at the amount of fishes we have. Come on, everybody, see the the amount of money we're going to make by selling these fishes. Instead, you see a different posture. You see, he, he falls to Jesus' feet, and then he tells, he declares that I am a sinful man. Now, I'm not sure for most of you, if you experience like, you know, a, a blessings in your life or a miracle, like for instance, maybe your boss tells you, today, um, Pastor Miranda, you know, even though the economy is bad, but you're gonna get 12 month bonus, just like that, even called the economy. And I'm sure the first thing Miranda will be like, yeah, let's post it on social media, praise the Lord, right? You'll be celebrating. But instead, we see Simon Peter, instead of celebrating, he decides to, you know, cover and and go to Jesus' feet and declare that I am a sinful man. And I'm sure that if Pastor Miranda were to receive that bonus, she'll receive it with open arms and, and, and she wouldn't say, no, 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 I don't deserve it, I'm a worm. She would not do that. She would receive it and she'd be happy, right? So it's quite a different posture that we would expect of Simon Peter. But I believe The reason why he had this sort of unusual posture was because it wasn't that he wasn't happy about the fish. I'm sure he is. But I think there was something that was more important that struck him at that moment of time. At that moment of time, I think it was a turning point for him to recognize that he's not just in the midst of a miracle worker, he's not just in the midst of a good teacher, but he was in the midst of God. And that Jesus was God. And because of that, because of that, even though there there was a lot of fish and it was so amazing, but his priority about the fact that he's in the midst of a great God took over. And he then realized that when you are in the midst of a great big God, you start to see the frailness in yourself. And then is when he realized that I'm a sinful man. And in fact, Peter's response is not entirely abnormal. If you were to read in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah also had sort of the similar sort of response. And we see um, in Isaiah, um, in 6 verse 5, Isaiah actually says this, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And this is just Isaiah just seeing a vision and he was like, whoa, you know, he was just uh, struck with, with the fact that, you know, he was a person of unclean lips. And it's not just Isaiah, even the Apostle Paul. You know, Apostle Paul wrote First Timothy towards the end of his um, ministry, just about just a part of time when he was just about to get beheaded. He actually wrote this in First Timothy. He actually said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You know, in some translation, Paul actually says, I am the chief of sinners. Can you imagine Apostle Paul? If he is the chief of sinners, what are we, right? You know, he was the one that was responsible of the great exploits. He was the one that, you know, he could do miracles and even dead people came alive when Paul walked past, you know, just... So, so you know, can you imagine? And I believe as you get more intimate with your walk with God, you then start to actually see your true nature and your true self. Because when you are in the presence of God, this great, big, perfect, and holy God, you will start to see who you are in comparison. And maybe the best illustration I can give is this. You only recognize how short you are when you stand next to a giant. Now, this is a picture of this um, gentleman named San Mingming and his wife, Su Yan. They're both sports athletes from China. They're like, the man is like seven feet eight, and the woman is six feet one. Wow, their children guarantee going to be super tall, right? And, and they, 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 they hold the record, uh, the Guinness Book of Record of being the tallest married couple com combined, right? So, you know, the, the woman uh, that's standing there, um, she probably isn't too short, but I guess because when she's standing next to someone really tall, she looks short. And so it is with us, you know, sometimes. If you're standing next to Elon Musk, you realize that, oh, actually, I, I, maybe I'm living in poverty when standing next to Elon Musk. Well, actually, that's not true. Elon Musk does, sort of doesn't live very lavishly. But if you get what I'm saying, if you're standing with someone great, then you tend to realize how small you are. And, and I, you know, I joked, you know, I said, you know, I think only when I stand next to one of those Blackpink uh, stars will I then get motivated to start losing weight, right? So poor husband, right? Um, I have to see Blackpink stars, then only I feel, oh, I need to lose weight, right? So sometimes, only when we stand in the mouths of something great do we then realize that actually we're very small. And when you stand in the presence of an almighty God, a perfect, sinless God, I think that's when you start to realize that, oh, you know, actually I've fallen so short of the glory of God. And you know, it's, it's such a contrast, right? Because God is so good and so great. And if God is so good, so holy, then why do we live in such a fallen world? I don't even have to tell you, just open the newspaper and almost everything is bad news, right? We thought about wars, global warming, all kinds of horrible things. And, and recently, I mean, if you were reading the papers, you would hear of this socialite in Hong Kong. She's, she, you know, she got murdered very gruesomely. And, you know, and I'm thinking, what's happening in our world? You know, the world is sometimes so ugly and, and in the future sometimes looks so bleak. You know, and why is that so? Why is the world so fallen when we have such a great and mighty God? And it's not just bad things happening overseas. Sometimes, some of us, 
We've gone through trauma from, you know, bad family relationships. I don't know, during the MCO, I heard, um, during the pandemic, so many families, they're just fighting, there's so many abuse cases, there's just so much quarrels. And sometimes the quarrels also happen in church. And that's why I feel like the Apostle Paul, he very aptly panned this in Romans. In Romans 8, verse 22 to 24, he says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until the present time. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Brothers and sisters, we are all frail. And, and you know, it says, even those with the first fruits of spirits, even those who are believers, we long for the day that Jesus will come back again because while we are still on earth, we are frail. Even Christians get sick. Even Christians have cancer. Even Christians fight among each other. Even Christians get divorced. Just so sometimes we live in such a tense world because we live in a fallen world and there is sin because we are all sinners saved by grace. And you know, I don't think anyone intentionally wants to be nasty to each other. When you see people fight, right, it's not because you know, they're intentionally horrible to each other, but I, but I believe that it is something inside them that they're just trying to make it through life, and somehow or other, sometimes we don't get along and we fight, and, and all these wars happen and all these horrible things happen, and it's because we're groaning inwardly and we're just waiting for Christ to redeem us fully. And you know, I came across uh, this movie uh, that was pretty popular recently, and it actually depicts our fallen humanity. And the, mu the movie is called The Whale, and it stars Brandon Fraser. Now, the story is about a morbidly obese professor who is reclusive and hides in his apartment because he's ashamed of his weight. And, and you know, he's, he's so upset and depressed about his life that he just binge eats, and he eats and eats and eats until he, you know, he's not just fat, but he's morbidly obese, and, and he, you know, it's really unhealthy, and he's come to the point where he can't help himself. He can't even do the normal daily things. He needs people to help him. And, and, and it's really sad, and it's very easy for us to judge this man, and we're like, yalla, go and exercise more, la, diet more, or something like It's easy for us to judge, but sometimes I think all of us have a bit of obesity. We may not be physically obese, but maybe we're spiritually obese. Maybe we're sedentary in our spiritual lives. I mean, it's easy for us to judge someone because we can see, but what about what's happening inside? For him, his problem was obesity. But maybe for some of us, our problem is not obesity. Maybe our problem is anger. Maybe for some of us, we are angry and we're self-destructing because we're angry with everybody, we fight with everybody, and we're just destroying all the relationships around us. Or maybe some of you, you're anxious. You're anxious about everything, and you're stressed about everything, and your health is failing because you're just stressed all the time. And so a lot of us, we have different, different problems and challenges and struggles that we go through. It may not be in the form that everybody can see, Maybe it's inside. For some of us, you know, from the outside, we could even be sitting here, coming to church, 
looking perfectly fine and normal. Maybe we were even leaders. But inside, we're struggling with something. And sometimes, it's because we're sick and we need a healer, right? And, and you know, there's a tweet about this movie. It says, at the end of the day, the story is about five different people desperately trying to save one another in flawed ways, but in very earnest ways. And sometimes, we try to save each other. We try all kinds of methods. We go for counseling and all kinds of therapy. I'm not saying don't do that. Please go and do that. But sometimes, as much as we try to help ourselves and save ourselves, we can't and we struggle. And the difference is maybe it may not be open for everyone to see, but maybe inside, we're struggling with the reality of who we are. And so the Apostle Paul, again, in Romans, he understands the human struggle. And this is what he says. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks to be God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to recognize that we are all wretched. And until we recognize that, we will never open our hearts to Jesus. If we don't think we need a savior, we will never come to Jesus. If you think that you are fine and you are perfect, you will never open the door. If you don't think you're sick, you'll never see a doctor. And it's only when you recognize the sinfulness and how no matter how much you strive and strive to be good, that you sometimes cannot because you need a savior. And that is why Jesus had to come because we cannot save ourselves. And I believe if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you first need to recognize that there is this frailty inside you. Then you'll be ready to move on to be his disciple. Before we call to be a disciple of Christ, yes, we recognize the frailty inside. Sorry, for some reason it's moving. And, but, but you know, we also need to recognize God's awesomeness, okay? It's not just, you know, being very sad about yourself, like, oh, you know, I'm such a worm, you know, and I believe that Apostle, Apostle Paul, you know, even though he said he's the chief of sinners, he's not having self-esteem problems. He's not, you know, feeling like, you no, know, that he's not good enough. It's not about that. He's the same person that wrote, therefore there is now no condemnation, you know, for we are more than conquerors. And I believe that Apostle Paul wasn't going through like depression or anything like that. It wasn't that. But it's because he believes that he wants to be like God, like Jesus. It's when he realized that actually he has fallen short from the glory of God. And because he recognized God's awesomeness, does he realize that he needs God? And that is one of the things that you need to recognize is that you need to recognize God's awesomeness. Otherwise, it will be difficult to answer the call to Jesus. And you know, in verse eight, it says, you see Simon Peter, after witnessing the miracle of Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and called Jesus Lord. 
You know what it means to fall at someone's feet? He's showing his respect. He's showing his surrender. And he actually uses the word Lord here. Now, what does Lord mean here in Greek? The word is used as kurios. Sorry, I think there's something wrong with this. Um, someone would need to control it for me. Um, the word Lord is kurios. And in, in Greek, it means he to whom a person or thing belongs, master, lord of the possessor, and disposer of a thing, the owner. Now, Simon Peter realizes that Jesus has the power to possess and to dispose him. Simon Peter recognizes that Jesus owns him. And at that point, when he realizes that his faith is in, in, in the Lord Jesus, that Jesus owns him, that's where he surrenders and he falls to Jesus' feet because he's in the presence of a mighty God. And what do I mean by he realized the awesomeness of standing in the midst of God? What does awesome mean? Now, in the dictionary, the word awesome is an adjective used to mean causing or inducing awe, inspiring and overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration or fear. And that is how we should be treating God. We should be treating God with reverence, with overwhelming feeling of awe, with admiration and even a bit of fear. In fact, but the problem with us is sometimes everything is awesome to the point that God is also awesome like the rest. You know, in today's world, the word awesome is no longer awesome because Everything is awesome. You know, it's as if we're singing that song. Do you, how many of you remember the Lego movie? They were singing the song, everything's so awesome, right? Remember this movie? Everything is awesome. And that is, is the culture of today. Everything is awesome. You ask someone, how's work? Awesome. How's the food? Awesome. How's school? Awesome. Everything is awesome. But, you know, only one is truly awesome. And that is God. Only God is awesome. And you know, sometimes I use the slang awesome also, right? Everything's cool, it's awesome. But it's not even about using the word. It's about our hearts. Do we revere God? Do we treat Him with reverence in this house? I don't know about you. Hold on. When you step in <coughs> to this house, do you feel the reverence of God? Sorry. <laughs> Do you feel the reverence of God? Do you come in trembling? Do you come in respect? Or you just come in? It's church again. Late. Let's go. Or do you come in with your hearts prepared to meet this awesome God? And sometimes we can get so caught up and we come to church so often that we lose that awe. To the point sometimes we start focusing on everything else. We start focusing on the parking, all oh, the parking rates. We start focusing on the lift. We start focusing on ah, the worship song. This song, they didn't sing my favorite song this week. And we start focusing on everything. But we forget that when we come to church, it is to worship God. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter all those other things. I'm not saying that, you know, there is a place sometimes for us to make sure that you're in a place that you can grow and all that. But if you only focus on all these other things and your agenda to come to church is make sure I am growing, make sure I'm filled, make sure I'm receiving, we forget that actually we come to church because we're here to worship God. 
And that is the problem. Sometimes we come to church because we just want to receive. What can I get from the word? What can I get from the feeling of, how do I feel when I come to church? And sometimes we forget that it's not about how we feel, but it's about us coming to worship this awesome, awesome God. And so sometimes we lose that reverence and that respect. And you know, so much so sometimes for some of us that worshiping God becomes convenient to us and whatever that's convenient. If it's not convenient, I won't go to church. If I don't feel like it, I won't go to church. And sometimes for some of us, we don't even want to come to church because there's online church. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with online church. In fact, online church is great. Because of online church, people that are sick, people that can't make it actually can actually tune into the service, right? People, we can reach the masses through online church. But if you tune into online church and you refuse to come just because online church is more convenient, then it's we're in a danger of losing the presence of God. We're in a danger of losing that awe and respect for God. And sometimes we cannot treat going to church like just a duty. We have to remember we come to church to worship God, right? And you know, I was just um, looking at the Asbury Revival, you know, and, and you know what's exciting about the Asbury Revival? You know, I watch it online, and I'm like, oh, if only when watching it online, God's presence will just pop out, and somehow my living room, will, and there will be a revival in my, my, my hall or my room. But actually, that doesn't happen. And, and did you realize that sometimes, that's why they call revivals by the name of the location? Because even though God, he's omnipresent, but sometimes he chooses certain locations where he wants to pour his spirit out. And if you actually read, you know, in Luke, when Pentecost came and all that, he says, stay in the city because I want to pour out my Holy Spirit. So sometimes you need to be present, right? I don't know if there's such thing as a Zoom revival. Maybe there is. But from what I can tell from the Bible, when God performs his wonderful miracles, when God performs his, all these awesome things, it is always in the presence of his people. So if you can, if you are in cells, and if you're still meeting online on Zoom, I really implore you to come and meet physically because you need to be present. Can you imagine one day, what if, Revival really breaks out in Ming Sang, Bangunan Yin. And you're at home. You miss out. You miss out the will of God. And we don't want you to miss out. Every one of us, we want us to, to be present so that we can get that human touch and so that we can experience. Do you know that you can watch a revival online and feel nothing unless maybe you're there experiencing yourself? So we need to come and experiencing it for our own selves so that the glory of God, we can truly understand the amazing awesomeness of God. And so you need to be present and involved. And if you look at all the miracles that Jesus performed, always someone needs to be present and there needs to be someone's involvement. Everybody say, you need to be present. You need to be involved. Then only will you see miracles happen. You look at the miracles five loaves and three fishes. Some boy had to give five loaves and three fishes before they could feed the multitudes. 
Water turned to wine. In order for water to turn to wine, the servants had to fill up the jars with water so that it could turn to wine. And the servants were the first-hand witness of seeing how this, oh, you know, I filled it with a jar of water. But look, it's turned to wine. And they are the first-hand witnesses of these miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead. If you were there and you buried Lazarus and you wrapped him up and then you sealed that, that, that stone over his tomb, you know that he died for sure. So when Lazarus got raised, you'll be the first to say, wow, this is truly a miracle of God. Walking on water. Peter had to step out of a boat. And then only he can walk on water. Even the healing of the cripple, even the healing of the cripple, even Jesus, don't give chance, crippled for so long, so never mind. You know when he, when he healed the guy, you know what he said? He said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Even Jesus instructed him to pick up his mat and walk. Because Jesus wants to be, us to be involved and to be present. You know, and, and this is just the amazing thing about God, right? You know, when I look at the miracle that Jesus performed with the fish, you know, with, with Peter. And I'm like, you know, Jesus, there's so many other ways you could have done this miracle. You could have made the fish rain down, you know, on the boat. Then, wow, you know, it would be so much more, you know, right? So much more exciting, right? So much, like, so, so exciting, you know? But, but, but he didn't. He could have just made the fish jump into the boat. Also, he didn't do that. Instead, he made Peter roll deeper in and put the net down to catch the fish. Because I believe that, you know, you have to be present and involved to really experience the miracle. Now, I know that prior to Jesus actually calling all the disciples, he actually did a bit of ministry, he actually did some healing, etc., etc. And I'm sure Peter already saw him healing others. He probably saw a lot of miracles happen already. But why is it at this point, it was a turning point for him? I believe it's because finally, because this time in this miracle, he was involved and he was present firsthand to experience it. And so, you know, sometimes we need to be present firsthand because sometimes it's not about the miracles, but it's about knowing that the Lord that we serve is conducting this miracle and that because he's powerful and almighty, we can put our trust in him. You know, miracles can happen. You know, when a miracle happens, you'll be like, wow, great, miracle happened, and then you're happy, and then afterward, you know, it just wavers down. But if a miracle happens to you, and you recognize that without a shadow of doubt, this is not a random occurrence in the universe, but it is God that is working this miracle, your life will be changed because you know that it's not just about the miracle, but it's about the miracle worker that is watching over you, that cares about you, that is even bothered to be invested in your life. And that's when you know that you can trust this good and awesome God. So it's not just about the miracle. And that's what happened to Peter. Peter had to take that small step of faith. And you read here in verse 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And you know, if you look in the preceding verses, what were the fishermen actually doing? They were actually cleaning their nets. Can you imagine? 
after you polish your car, you wax your car, and then it's raining outside, and then your wife says, can you drive out to go and get me something from the shops? You're like, no, I just polished my car. I'm not going out in the rain. But, but, but that's what Peter asked him to do. I mean, that's what Jesus asked Peter to do, right? And, and not just that. Um, he, he also asked them to go and fish. And this is day. At that time, you know, they were fishing at night. Most of the fishermen fish at night because at that time, they didn't have nylon nets. They used those kind of flex. And the, the fishes can see the nets, so they won't swim into the nets. So they have to fish only at night. But yet, daytime, the fishes, for some reason, even though they see the net, they just decided to swim into the net. And, and that, that's truly, that is a miracle. And if you look at it, you know, when Jesus asked Simon to let down the nets, you know, he was at the time where he's most tired. And he, and he probably just wants to go home. And, and I could just even hear a slight hesitation. He says, ah, we're so tired, but because you say so. I don't know about you, but I wish that when I talk to my children, they say, because you say so. I say, Please clear your room, mother, because you say so. Please eat your food. Because you say so. So I really need the Jesus anointing. I think everyone here needs the Jesus anointing, right? Because you say so. And I, I think sometimes all of us, we need to learn how to listen and obey like little children. And I was just wondering to myself, what if, what if Peter, because he was so tired, and maybe his wife at home is waiting for him and nagging, he's like, no la, some other time, Jesus, some other time. Maybe if he didn't go. I wonder whether he would be one of the 12 disciples. And sometimes, I think, sometimes, there may be only one chance. You know, there are a million other fishermen. If you say no, maybe someone else will say yes. And sometimes saying yes to even small, mundane things can lead you to bigger, greater things. And you know, Jesus came to Peter, you know, not in a very, not a very special day, not a big celebration. Jesus came to Peter in a normal day. There was nothing spectacular, you know, Peter was just doing his normal thing, working and all that. And I think when Peter was involved, he recognized God's awesomeness and then he decided to answer the call to be his disciple. Maybe today, maybe Jesus is asking all of you, what is that small little thing would you do? Maybe he's asking you to go for a camp. Maybe he's asking you to go for that one camp. You have only one chance, okay? Not gonna have another 2023 camp, okay? If you are of this age, go for the one camp. Because you might not ever have a chance again. And you know, maybe some of you are you're like, it's during the public holiday. I worked so hard like a young adult. I'm tired. I want to go home. And maybe you're like, I fished so many times at all these conference, seminar, camp. Nothing changes. But what if, what if that one chance Jesus calls you? You never know, right? And so sometimes it's not just about this camp. What about something that Jesus is calling you to do? Maybe you've been here for a long time. And you know, like our church is a cell church and we've been inviting you to sell, but you're like, no, I don't want to go to sell. I have bad experiences in sell. I don't want to go to sell. I don't really like people. You know, the cell I go to, nothing happens. 
Maybe I just encourage you, even if you have been fishing all night and you're tired, try. Because maybe God wants to encounter you. And, and really, this God is really wanting to encounter you. And you have to be present and involved. Remember I said present and involved. It cannot just happen with you sitting in your home and just waiting for God to make changes in your life. If you want to see a miracle of God, you've got to be present and involved. And so that's why, you know, God, you know, God can do a lot of miracles. He doesn't need us to do the miracles. He can just, at His word, he formed the universe. He's the creator of the heaven and earth. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. You know, he can do anything he wants. But yet, he decided to get us. Who are we, frail, sinful human beings, to be involved? And that's God's love for us. And that's why our God is awesome. Our God is awesome, not just because He can do miraculous, nature-defying miracles, not just because He's powerful, not just because He's majestic, where He's all that, but our God is awesome because even though He's so big, He is willing to come in the form of a man to experience the pain, the fallen humanity, suffer with us, suffer all the way to the cross so that He can redeem each and every one of us. That's why our God is an awesome God. Right? Amen? Our God is not just awesome because He's great. He's awesome because He cares for each and every one of you. Some of us cannot love each and every one. When we look at each other, we don't even like each other. But God loves each and every one of you because God is love. And He came down to redeem each and every one of us. And He wants us to be present and He involves. And He wants to save us not just to save us so that, you know, that we can all go to heaven. He wants to save us because He has a greater purpose for all of us. We need to recognize. We, know, we need to recognize that we're not just frail, that God is not just awesome, but He saves us because we have a greater purpose in life. You know, God, every single one of us has a destiny. You think God just let you be born on this earth for no apparent reason, and then you go, go through the run, through the rat race, and then just die. No, I believe that each and every one plays a very special purpose, and God's plans are good for us. But we need to recognize that we have a greater call. Otherwise, we're not ready to be his disciples. If you think life is just like that, la, just live, la, and then just hope for the best, then you'll never see the big picture of what God intends to do for your life. You need to have to recognize there is a greater purpose for you so that you don't just go to work and work, but you know that there is a greater purpose behind your work. You don't just get married and have kids, but you know there is a greater purpose for your whole family, that you're, there is so much that God wants to give us. And He's just waiting, waiting for us to recognize that so that he can call us and then we can take that faith. And you know, after we experience all the miracles and we encounter Jesus, in verse 11 it says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Not just Simon Peter, who is the day, his partners, John and James, left everything and followed Jesus. And I just wanna encourage you, in the work of God, you never do it alone. There will always be partners. And God is saying, He's prophesying to us, He's telling us, look, you're not just gonna catch one or two little fishes. There is going to be abundant 
ample harvest out there. The harvest is great. And he says, go, I have a greater purpose for all of you. And you know what is so exceptional, exceptional for Peter in this miracle is because he left everything. And it's not just a miracle of, you know, more fishes, but it was a miracle of provision that they just experienced. Do you, can you imagine if you're a businessman and you just close a multi-million dollar deal business and then you said, okay, I decided to quit my business, I sell everything and then you go. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, you know, if you just got promoted to be like the CEO and then you said, okay, thank you, I quit, bye-bye. Can you imagine that? But that's what Simon Peter did. After hauling such a big chunk of fish, can you imagine the profits he would make selling the fish? That, that's what he does. It's his livelihood, right? He, all he does every day, go out in the sea to catch the fish, and now he finally gets all the fish. What does he do? He leaves it. He sells it. He goes so that he can follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that all of you right now, you have to do that, that you have to quit your jobs. Please, please don't quit your jobs unless you hear a very specific call. But what I'm saying is that I believe that Simon Peter had the courage to do that because he knows that God is a God of provision. He knows that, you know, all this time I've been striving, working so hard as a fisherman to get fish, and God just has to say it, and I'm provided for and not just provided measly, but abundantly. And I want you to know that for all of us, sometimes we're, we're scared and we're fearful and we're not willing to live out the true purposes of what we know is good because we're afraid. Because we're afraid that what if it fails? What if I can't provide? And we have all kinds of things that shackle us. And I believe it's only until you encounter God and and recognize his, his awesomeness and recognize that you have a greater purpose, only then you will have the courage to go more, to go beyond your normal mundane life. And so God provides. And I believe God is still calling each and every one of us here today. Sometimes God provides and he provides so abundantly that we read in chapter, in verse 7, that the two boats were so filled that they began to sink. Sometimes God provides us so much, so abundant, that we begin to sink. We have to be very careful that if God is providing abundantly, you don't just hoard and amass and hoard and forget to channel out that blessings. Because if you don't and you're not careful, your boat will begin to sink. And so I just even believe that all of us, we have a great purpose on this earth and we have a greater purpose than just breeding and surviving in this world. And I believe that all the money in the world, all the possessions in the world, all the children and the families in the world that you can have will not be able to fully satisfy until you fulfill that greater purpose that God has called each and every one of you. So what is that greater purpose? What is your greater purpose? Everyone is unique. 
What is the greater purpose? In general, I believe Luke sums it up at the end when Jesus was taken up into heaven. He says in Luke 24, verse 46, it says, this is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That was Jesus' words to the people. I believe that our greater purpose is that we are to be witnesses of Jesus, that we are to witness to the world in our jobs, in the work that we do, in how we live in our community, we are all witnesses and testimony to the God we serve. And I believe that through that, that the gospel and the good news will reach to the ends of the world. And God gives us this promise. He says, stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. I believe that when God gives you a greater purpose, He never just say, go la, go. He will clothe you with power on high. And I believe that each one of you do not need to fear, but you need to recognize that even though you are frail, but you serve a good and awesome God. When you are weak, He is strong. When you have no peace, He will be that peace. When you are fearful, He will give you that courage and that boldness. When you are sad and sorrowful, he will help you and lift you up like eagle's wings. You will run and not grow weary. You will not grow tired. Even youths grow tired, but you will soar like eagle wings because the Lord, that awesome God, who is willing to come to this earth, subject himself to the decay of the body, subject himself to the crucifixion, subject himself to the pain of horrible sin, is willing to come for each one of you. And he says, I am still living and my purposes will continue until the ends of the earth, but I've chosen each one of you to be involved and presence because I want you to experience the miracle and the love of God. Amen. I just want you to stand up right now. All of us here, we come to church, but are you sure that you are a disciple of Christ? A disciple of Christ requires commitment. A disciple of Christ requires a cost. Are we willing to pay the cost of discipleship? Jesus had many followers and even some who abandoned Him. But are you willing to be the one that answers the call of discipleship? And if that's you right now, I don't want you to just bow your heads, you know, and no one looking around. No, look around. I want you to take that commitment. If you want to be not just a congregation, 
if you don't want to be just a bystander watching miracles happen around you, if you want to experience the presence of God, you say, I am present and I want to be involved and I want to answer the call of discipleship. If that is you, raise two hands up. Don't, don't raise. If you want Jesus, you want to be a disciple of Christ, raise it up high because I want you to receive. I want you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that the Lord is working in our midst and you are present here today. You have made time to come and I believe that the Lord wants to pour out to you. He says, stay in the city. But Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not just confined in the city, but He is real and He's present here today. So Lord Jesus, may you clothe each and every one here who has raised their hands up high in confidence, Father Lord, not in weakness, but in confidence that you endow them with your power on and high, that though we are frail, Lord, you are awesome God. You are an awesome, awesome God. And we don't serve a small God. We serve a big and mighty God. And therefore, Holy Spirit, you just fill all my brothers and sisters with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just fill in everybody here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you have seen these hands that are raised, that they are not here just to be bystanders. They're not here just because it's convenient. They're not here just because they just happened to come. They're here because they are committed to be a disciple of Christ. And we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just worship the Lord together. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are so great. You can't even be contained in a hall. And the Lord, you are so great. And sometimes we have lost that reverence to you. Forgive us, Lord, that when we come to church, we forget to glorify you, to owe you that respect. And we just come so flippantly. And we've made it so common. But Lord Jesus, we want to come in reverence and in awe. We want to recognize, even though we are frail, but we serve an awesome God. And that you have a great purpose for each one of us. And Lord, I pray that you give us the wisdom, give us the boldness and the courage to not just hear sermons, but to bring change in our lives, to get out of our couches, to get out of where we are in our comfort zone and to go to the next level with you. Because Lord, you said no one that puts their hands to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. If salt loses its saltiness, it's not useful anymore. May that never happen to us here. Oh Lord, may you convict our hearts how we need a Savior, how without you, we cannot do anything. That even you, Lord Jesus, said, I can do nothing unless I see the Father do it. So Lord, we wanna do everything in your presence. And the Holy Spirit, separate us now, Father, with the grace of the Lord, with the love of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit till we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, church. If you are new, go to our Connect counter. Don't be shy. Take courage. Just go. And see you all next week.